Dispensing wisdom, inciting awesomeness, scaling joy. Welcome to the Mojo Studios podcast. It's time to turn down the deluge of distractions and put yourself in a mindset of receptivity and growth. Absorb, digest, apply, repeat. Dinner is served. Mojo here with my good friend Michael from Resiliency for Life. What's up, Michael? Good to be here from Central Canada to California. That's right. How many time zones are we crossing and how many miles? I bet we're about, what, 2,500 miles apart? Well, three time zones. Let me ask an important question. Siri, how many miles from Toronto to Los Angeles? Los Angeles, California. 2,519 miles from Toronto to Los Angeles. I asked that in American. I had miles instead of kilometers in Canadian. Hey, thank you. Thank you for that translation for all our listeners. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to know kilometers, multiply by 1.62. Well, see, you've already lost me. That's why we have Siri. <laughs> I used to be great at math, but, uh, you know, then I didn't have to. I don't know if you saw it today, but somebody put a post up saying, you know, I love technology, but now and again, I feel like I'm five years old and don't know how to use it. Said my alarm didn't go off this morning, so I got my phone open and I looked because I was annoyed with technology failing me. I put my wake up time in my calculator. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I can't even remember the whole story, but there's this funny anecdote I heard recently about a guy just telling his friend, Hey, you're in an emergency, call 911. And he's saying, Well, I can't get Siri to respond to me. He says, Just push the numbers. No, but I can't get Siri to respond to me. <laughs> we get so dependent on technology, we lose our common sense, right? Oh, absolutely. Before Apple Maps and before Google Maps, there was a couple other companies I won't name because they've cleaned up their act a lot. But when it first came out and I got my first smartphone, I put my parents' address in and looked for directions. And it wasn't just wrong. It had me in the middle of a marsh 25 miles out of place. So I took a screenshot. And I wrote the president of the company and said, I'm not angry. It's new technology. You've released this to people. If I drove my car into the marsh, can I sue you? Like I said, I don't know. I'm not mad, but I won't be using you for a year. I don't trust you. And you've just killed your trust. you got to straighten it out. Now they've straightened it out. So they're probably yeah. one of the top four map companies, but that was brutal. Twenty. How do you get 25 miles out of place? Yeah, I did that once. I was going to a charity golf tournament, and I used that early technology to give me directions to you know, a town, a place I'd never been. And it took me to some defunct, shut down airport at a dead end. And then what do you do then? Because you can't trust the, the can't trust the map app anymore. You're just stuck there. <laughs> so I had to backtrack, although almost all the way back to where I began, and get on a traditional map to figure out where I'm supposed to go. Yeah, I remember the uh, the AAA company. You know, they had the, what they called trip ticks. So yep. they do one map to the next, and you you know. You, you go to the end of the map and then you take out the next one and you go from that map from the beginning to the end until you get to your destination. And now it's remarkable. Yeah. But there is a negative downside. I mean, there's a downside to that. I, I've heard a lot of studies say our reliance on technology, especially maps in particular, um, has decreased the brain activity and actually creates doesn't create the neural pathways and the resilience, to, to use one of your words, that we once had when we had to figure it out on our own. And that, like, if you get too reliant on technology, so so here's the example, like, a cabbie in London who has to have the whole map of London memorized. The prefrontal cortex is just 
enormous compared to the rest yeah. of us because of the way his brain has to work. And yet, if we pull out Siri and we use it for everything from our own phone number, how many, how many times you've asked somebody, hey, can you give me your number? And they're like, uh, let me look it up and I'll send it to you, right? Don't even know our own phone number uh, <laughs> to using it for maps around the country. I think there is a loss. There's a loss in the brain activity and the problem solving yep. skills that we need. When I was in re when I was a retail business development consultant, I, I had a hundred foot tape measure, but within a year, it was uncanny how I could come into your store if you were interested in us refixturing you. And I go, is this 980 square feet? And they go, it's 1,010. How did you know that? I don't know how I know that, but I've measured a few stores. It was fascinating what you can do. Not everybody picks up something different. But yeah. One of my things in retail was I could do square footage. And I remember the store in, in Dartmouth, Nova Scotia. And when I did the fixturing, they told me it was so many square feet and i don't know i'll say 2500 square feet so it was card gift and whatever that's great no it was much bigger so i phoned my head office and said there's something off with the square footage not a complaint it's fixtured well but it looks looks empty the back part of the store turns out the bank had been leasing the extra 500 square feet for the 20 years they've been there and nobody noticed it was actually <laughs> the store in inside the store <laughs> but they didn't tell the bank till their lease was up and they moved to another location. Good call. Good call. <laughs> <laughs> Most personal developments say, you know, in order to get really good at something, you practice until you get progress and then progress gives you this mastery. Sometimes that just happens in repetition, right? In real life, you measure a store, the square footage enough times, eventually your brain tells you that without ever pulling out the tape measure. So that's, that's the other skill that we could lose if we, rely too much on technology and we don't rely on our own experience, then we never get that mastery from doing something over and over. So we were going to talk resiliency and talk about this family program I've got, because I appreciate the chance to do that, to talk to people because the world's gone a little crazy. It's the polite language. Or a Just, lot crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Because we might have a six year old watch this and that's okay. I like to be, I like to be six year old friendly. It's important that we all know that we have choices to make on how we perceive that what's going on out there. So we developed a program at Resiliency for Life called Imagine Yourself. And Imagine Yourself gets people to talk about their energy. We don't discuss feelings because feelings have a lot of positives and negatives and can pull us sideways when we start to talk about them. So and because we want to work with three-year-olds and nine-year-olds and 101-year-olds, energy seems to be a safe word. So. We developed the program to raise awareness that people could talk to their doctors, their parents, to somebody they trust. Notice I didn't say somebody they love, somebody they trust. Mm. Unfortunately, some people that love us don't always treat us with respect. So somebody we trust, and they can talk about their states of being. So there's loud, fast, quiet, and slow. And if we pay attention to if we're feeling loud, fast, quiet, or slow, we can have a remarkable impact because now we know where we're at just by labeling it, not judging it, just labeling it. It's like, oh, so maybe we're feeling loud and fast because we're excited. We passed the exam and our marks 10% higher than we thought was possible. I'm smarter than I thought it was. Or maybe we got fired because we weren't showing up on time on purpose and really doing any work. Oh, maybe we feel quiet and slow because... We're angry at ourselves, but we don't want to express it in a way that's dangerous, but we're angry at ourselves because now we have to tell the world that we don't work there anymore because we screwed up. Or it could be for happy reasons or health reasons, relationships. Anyways, 
we developed the beach ball model of loud, fast, quiet, and slow. And uh, it's amazing when you introduce it to whether I got, I got to work with senior seniors who lived through World War II at one point, got to work with Jake Hares, junior kindergarten kids and grade threeers and you name it. And one of the grade threeers, I taught him belly breathing skills because he had some anxiety issues from what some domestic violence he'd witnessed. And at the end of the year, his mother called me and him had a dinner date with me with his mother with pizza and tea. And his mother said, tell Michael what you told the teacher. Well, when you practice belly breathing, it helps your brains come out on the test because your mind's calm and can, and can let the brains come out on the test. I love that. Yeah. It's one of my favorite stories of working with kids. So helping people practice energy skills. So you're feeling slow and sluggish? Okay, there's probably a good reason. But if it's just for the day and not for weeks at a time, it might be medical then, you better go see the doctor, make an appointment, get there. If it's just for a couple of days, maybe it's emotional. So here's a couple of exercises and we like to do some breathing exercises. One of them is triangle breathing. And imagine you're at the top of the triangle and if you wanna raise your energy, you count for three, but quick, and you breathe in. Now you're at the base of the triangle. Now you hold for three. And then you exhale on three, quick. And that should give you just a little lift. And don't do this when you're driving any motorized or self-propelled vehicles, because I don't want a lawyer's letter saying, and then you hyperventilated and one in a ditch. But two rounds of triangle breathing with threes quickly can give you a little mental lift. Driving in the car, you got two kilometers, two miles to go to get home, feeling drowsy, well, pull over, get safe, walk around the car vigorously, or do this just twice, not three times, don't want you to hyperventilate and pass out. The other thing about triangle breathing, my neighbor fell last summer on the driveway out here where I live, and uh, luckily another neighbor caught her, so she didn't bump her head, but she, she completely passed out. Well, she comes to, she's lying on her back in the middle of a driveway. Somebody else is stopping traffic. One of the other neighbors with great love and concern for humanity came over and held her neck because he had advanced first aid training just in case. I don't think anything happened because I watched you fall, but we're not taking any risks. You're too important to the neighbors. Oh, man, this guy is just amazing. But anyways, she started going into shock. Hands started trembling, bellies fluttering, feet are flapping. So... I'd known her for 15, 20 years. I grabbed her hand and said, this isn't a date. <laughs> Held her other hand, said, stick out the pointer. I said, now we're going to slow you down. So it's triangle breathing. Count in on four and breathe in. <laughs> Hold for four. Exhale four, slow. <sighs> Halfway through the second time, she stopped, shut, stopped shaking. And she's like, wow, what was that? I said, that was just deep breathing, diaphragm breathing. And by then the medics are there and the medics going, they never taught that to us. I said, you should have it as part of your routine. Absolutely, yeah. Because it's non-invasive, it's drug-free. All I did was hold one hand to reassure her calmly but firmly. She had a gentleman holding her neck. Of course, we teased her later, the guy holding her neck was awfully good looking. <laughs> you didn't fall to get some extra attention. <laughs> right. So helping people be aware of their energy with a simple model, loud, fast, quiet, and slow. Helping people learn some skills to gently raise their energy or gently slow their energy down is a piece of the program. One group I work with 
half the staff in the room of 35 of them had two master's degrees and some of them had up to five certificates one semester to three semesters long because they worked with a special needs population mm. and like i said if we can help that child and family before they're seven to nine we probably won't they probably won't go to prison they probably won't kill somebody and it was like this is a serious group yeah but in that serious group not one skill they could diagnose you six ways and sideways but i got hired because i teach skills so the breathing skills so then i talked to them because my dad did it when i was five or six you don't mm. use any fancy language again the expert telling me you can't teach the kids anything till they're at least seven is wrong my dad worked with me he didn't call it the fancy psychology names but my dad taught me advanced planning doing and recapping but in psych terms or nlp terms i pre-framing so michael you ride a tricycle yeah so that's steering pedaling and backwards is braking and then safety stop look listen stop look listen steer where you're going not where you're looking so i did pretty good on that tricycle i got an improved tricycle with a bigger wheel we're on a country road and it's the 50s and it's a township and it's people that are frugal to be polite in this little township so the road's still not finished it's got secondary gravel on it not the finished top coat gravel no it's the, it's the 50s they didn't pave roads back then in new subdivisions in the country in canada so i couldn't ride a bicycle on that because it needed training wheels well after two years of the tricycle and i'm now seven maybe eight my dad's like it's time for a bicycle you're going to learn in the driveway and when the road improves eventually you'll go so so he's pre-framed tricycle is steering pedaling braking stop look and listen steer where you're going not where you're looking and you should be looking where you're going at all times Mr. Social that I am, I once years later drove right in the ditch when the neighbor waved at me. <laughs> the, yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So what are the skills in advance? That's the pre-framing. Okay, the day comes, I get a bicycle. Now, Michael, you're only adding one thing. Balance. Pedaling, steering, stopping, safety. You're good at it all. You only have balance now. So he's pre-framed it. And when you pedal, I want you to pedal slowly. So I'm out there pedaling and I'm learning slowly, slowly. So as I'm doing it, that's the framing part. You're gonna pedal slowly, you're gonna be calm. It's exciting because with, with without that third wheel, you can go more places. Go a little faster once you're skilled. Pre-framing where you plan in advance, you look at the skills you have, the skills you're adding, and the attitude you're gonna have while you do it. Framing as you're in the moment and you're doing it, oh, my dad said I could pedal and I'm pedaling. Cool. I'm steering where I'm going. This is great. So framing is when you're in the moment. You, you carry the attitude of the pre-frame and I got pretty good at it. And then the reframe is, so you had a concussion, you had an accident. What went right? You didn't hurt her. You didn't hit her. That's spectacular. I'm so proud of you. You had enough control not to hit pedestrians. That's, you're going to ride a bike. You gotta drive a vehicle, you have to be responsible for yourself and others. Yes, Dad. <laughs> now, about the rock and the ditch though, <laughs> unfortunate, a little less speed when there's anybody else around at all, because as you learn, people are unpredictable. So the reframe is not about blaming or shaming. It's a little bit about what's worked right and what could be better. Mm -hmm. So my young boy who got told that his brains came out on the test when he practiced belly breathing, he was having anxiety attacks, rightfully so, from some crime he witnessed. So 
I taught them some belly breathing skills and I teach kids meditative walking, but I don't teach meditative walking. That sounds slow, so boring. Yeah. I teach turtle walking and a similar version, slow racing and a similar version, tortoise walking. Reframing right there, just in the way you describe you park, it. And you walk so slow with bended knee that you almost fall over. And so if it's you and me and a five-year-old in the room, last one to cross the room is the winner of a race. It's a slow race. And nine out of 10 kids here race, so you congratulate them on being the fastest, but this is a slow race. It's the one that can go the slowest. It's amazing because you're training awareness. Yeah. You're creating muscle memory, mind, body, emotional memory of going slow and cautious. And you got to touch the heel of your foot every time you lay the next one down. And I only taught them three skills, the belly breathing, the tortoise walking. I gave them the turtle walking version because they're almost all the same thing. There's just a few different words and slightly different behavior. And the goal is that different words on different days go through differently. And so I wanted to have a little variety. So belly breathing, tortoise, turtle walking, meditative, slow walking, slow racing, and funky chicken. Funky chicken. That's a chicken that thinks he can fly if he could just get his act together. So again, it's all about body movements. And so you flap an arm and you flap an arm, you flap an arm, and then you go really slow. And then you do a little dance fast, do a little dance slow. And what I'm getting the child or the adult to do is experience loud, fast, quiet, and slow. Mm. You cannot re-regulate a nervous system that's been deregulated due to atrocities, witnessed or experienced or both, but through practice, physically, emotionally, and socially, and mentally, it can start creating more neural pathways that are healthier response rates. I have so much fun. I mean, I work with a couple of 17 year olds who'd been through some big things and they're like, Mr. Ballard, this is crazy beep. I said, yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah. But we could do the boring academic version from the researchers. It's all good. I gave it a new name and the funky chicken is sort of based, based on a bad dance. But arms up and down and up and down, breathing in slowly, breathing out fast, making a chicken sound or two. But we're making the movement fun and we're experiencing loud, fast, quiet, and slow. Mm -hmm. It's remarkable how people respond. It's amazing to me the uh, the connection, the mind-body connection, right? That what, what some people would say, well, that's just all an emotional issue or that's all just a mental issue. There's no such thing, right? We're all... We're, a, we're an organism. We're all interconnected it's from all inside. woven together. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And you're, uh, you're showing how to retrain the body to have that effect on the mind and the heart and the spirit. I had a coaching client in the 90s. And she came to me because work had told her they were going to lay her off unless she resolved her migraines. I won't work with somebody with migraines unless they can prove to me they've seen a medical professional in 90 days or less, at least once, if not twice. And did they take a CAT scan, an MRI scan? Oh, she said, I got x-rays and MRIs or CAT scans in the early days before MRIs. I've been in countless times. Nothing there. Okay, so we established a baseline that there's nothing medically wrong. Therapy's not working. You're having up to seven migraines a month. You're missing 15 to 20 days of work a month. There's only 20 days a month you can work. You can get fired. So I explained that for simplicity's sake, your brain has got... 12 filing cabinets and 12 drawers in each filing cabinet, 144 drawers. And for argument's sake, that atrocity that happened to you 17 years ago, 
over time has created one whole filing cabinet is how to respond to stress I don't even know I'm having. Have a migraine. 12 cabinets full of neural pathways going, migraine time. Oh, and this time we're going to give you uh, an ocular migraine. Oh, this time we're going to give you ringing in the ears. This time you're just going to collapse. And she's like, nobody's ever talked to me like this before. I said, well, these are the basics, the real fundamental basics. But again, I want to be able to say it so the seven-year-old gets it. So I said, we're going to practice some skills four times a day. I'll do it once a day for the first two days. I'll give you your homework four times a day, three skills, three, three skills, four times each in a row. Within an hour, an hour after breakfast, because I don't want you just digested and I don't want you to do it in an empty stomach. So there were some movement exercises, some breathing exercises. And so every week we added two skills and dropped two that aren't as much fun as you'd like them to be. But now you've done them for two weeks. You started to create some. And so we got up to about 15 of them. And she's like, you know, I've gone seven days and haven't had a migraine and only one headache. Anyways, the long and short of it, two years plus later, she calls me. The migraines are back. I said, yes, how many weeks ago did you stop practicing any of the skills? So I said, you have 17 years in that filing cabinet, the t- all 12 cabinets, full of I respond this way to stress. I don't even know I got it. You've created a half a filing cabinet of skills of, oh, when I got stressed, I just respond in my usual way. I said, you got to practice every day four times a day for a couple more years before you ease it down to maybe you do four days a week because your medication hasn't helped. Right. Going to the hospital getting knocked out for four hours, well, that's one way to get rid of it. Only temporarily, though. But only temporarily. So yeah. she's no longer a coaching client because it's been a long time, 20-plus years, but she connected with me on social media because she said, it's changed my life. Well, I just took the research from Stanford and Harvard Medical, Harvard Medical School and University of Toronto, and it's nice we have this research, but we're not using it very much. Right. Well, what this makes me think of is there's there's just two kinds of knowledge, right? There's the knowledge where you have the understanding in your head, you know it because you've digested it, you think about it, but it doesn't really become knowing in terms of ownership until you do it. Without actions, you just have words, and the words alone may not solve the problem, but you combine the words and the actions, and now you've got something. This was proven to me before I got interested for my health reasons because I took martial arts. And my 129-pound sensei had unnatural levels of skill and strength for a 129-pound man. And when I was there, some police officers that were more advanced than regular were taking the course because they said, violence is increasing in the household. And when we go in to break up a domestic, sometimes it's two-on-one. We save the one. We take care of the other two, and suddenly the one that was being beat attacks us. Yeah. And the officer said, I got a gun and a billy stick. I don't want to use either. No right. no, no stun guns back there. He said, there's got to be a better way. So he said, I heard you can learn how to throw a punch, like just throw a block, right? Well, I got to know him a little bit because, you know, you're in the change room before and after, and they're all adults, and I'm just 13 years old. But somewhere in the second and third year, we talked a little more, and the one guy said, you know, he's 129 pounds. I don't tell a lot of people, but before I became an officer, I thought I should toughen up. I'm the provincial champion, Golden Gloves, 19 years old, 150 pounds. At 27, Golden Glove Championship, 200 and some odd pound weight. If they were all like him, criminals, I couldn't be a cop. Couldn't do it. I wouldn't make it through some shifts. He scares me. I trust him, so I'm not scared of him, but his skill level scares me. And he tells me he's basic at his level. 
there's ones that are far more skilled because he only knows two martial arts. So that proved to me mind, body, skill, training. And it was my sensei master taught me some of these things, but he didn't have words. He just taught me. In our course, we have it in text. We have pretty soft graphics because we want the soft graphics to be non-threatening. We're going to do a macho man version next year because women get it right away. I find it fascinating that the women, oh, yeah, this is great. Men are like, well, I don't know. Well, that's fine. You stay skeptical. You lose. I have a retired fire captain who got told, based on the stress and the adrenaline of all the scenes you've been to keeping us safe, your heart's 20 years older than you are. Oh, wow. Because they didn't teach him any calming skills. He's come to me saying, I want you to teach our new guys some basics. Yeah. Just give them five basic skills even. If it adds six months to their life, you'll learn you're a hero in my books. Our world puts people in dangerous situations because they got credentials. But we didn't give them any software for calmness and focus. And So anyways, I find these skills. I teach people. And then we get people to understand that there's loud, fast, quiet, and slow as four states of energy. But then there's states of being. And that helps you understand that without judgment, why are you chillaxed more than me? Is it natural? Is it your home? Is it your education? Is it your vocation? Is it? So then I talk to people about, again, I want three-year-olds and 97-year-olds and everybody in between to get it. So there's floppy. And the floppy zone is when we're really relaxed. And that helps us with sleep. Because when we sleep well, and this is where I love telling kids, did you know there's almost like a little janitor in there when you sleep, your brain, that's if you've been busy all day, it actually shrinks overnight? But just imagine there's a janitor going, look at all these brain cells. This place is a mess. This guy or gal, they some big thinking. And they're in there with a broom and a brush, and they're cleaning up. Said, And the better you sleep and the deeper you sleep, the more cleanup happens. So you you got greater focus and acuity. I said, you want to win games and you play in the playground? You want to win when you're in sales and you're in a meeting? I once went in a meeting and there was 14 people to interview me for the contract. I got the contract, but only because I knew in advance there was more than two. But 13 to 14 people throwing questions at you? So it works. So if you know that floppy is, exists as a zone and that we, should, we all should get six to nine hours of sleep every day, and six is not enough. That's what twice a week in an emergency. As a teenager, I worked double shifts. School, home, shower, shave, work a double shift, come home, sleep for a few hours, get up, go work another double shift. Paid for college. Yeah. Graduated with zero bills. But that's my choice. Nowadays, with what I know about my health, I probably wouldn't do that because maybe that's why I got cancer in the same location as grandfather, but 40 years earlier than him. Because mm. genetically, possibly that's why I got it. But to get it 40 to 50 years earlier than your grandfather, hmm, I stress my body with not enough sleep. So anyways, floppy helps with sleep, restoring thinking and clarity as long as you put the right fuel and fluids in. Flow. I feel very safe talking to you. I feel engaged and heard and seen and listened. And so that's when the mastery happens. That's where I get to absorb information, share information, read a book. So there's skills to be in flow. And that's the breathing zone skills. There's lots of things we can do to be there. Then there's the zone that marketing people and the media people use all the time to get our attention. And that's the uh, fright and fun and play zone. And that's the loud music, the flashing lights, the driving beat for the news broadcast. Great to visit, 
but that depletes your body of brain chem your body and brain of chemistry that you need to stay focused so it's a great place to visit our media is designed to pull you into that all the time hmm. hundreds if not thousands of times a day for some people so you're there in an elevated all day that's wearing your brain out that's wearing your body chemistry out and it's depleting you so you don't get the quality of sleep you deserve you don't get the concentration skills you deserve and one of the first times i saw it powerfully was when i taught it professionals and one of them came to me after learning this and said i'm going to be a bit of a mess on monday what do you mean i'm having my biannual computer competition fest now this was a kid who at 11 or 12 had taught himself three computer skills computer languages and his parents let him discreetly drill holes in the dining room floor in the corners and they let him host computer game nights and weekends so four kids in the dining room with headsets four kids in the down below and a server in the corner so by the time he got to be 23 he was a pretty he was taking a programming course to get accreditations he could do all the programming so on the monday after his gaming weekend you sit in that chair and you go to your drop <laughs> team against team it's somewhat harmless and like he said we always try to throw a wrench in things by having a machine that's got a version of something that's out of date and how do we do a workaround because it's, it's thinking it's how i got the job i got because i've been doing it for 12 years so like you said you do it enough you get good at it if you practice right so on the monday he was like okay i had a night a full night sleep but you're right i can barely think and i said yeah your brain chemistry is exhausted you started to hyper focus friday night right through to sunday lunch but whenever you ended sunday supper he said yeah i know but my team won ah, bragging rights for six months i wouldn't want to have been paying him to be at work on the monday i would have said he was at 10 percent power he went wow you're right that really is exhausting I said, well, you physically didn't do anything except sit there, except to use a bathroom break on occasion. He said, only a couple of times when I needed to change a diaper. And it's like, oh, too much information. <laughs> so the floppy is important if we get the sleep and the rest for our body to heal and restore from an activity day. The flow is important because that's when we absorb and we share and we connect and engage for social, emotional, and all the things that make society better. And then fright and fun is awesome because that's when we can play but not all the time and not for six hours in a row most of the time. Yeah. Now, at one point in my life, I got a chance to learn how to water ski and within a day I got to my dock start standards. I water skied for five or six hours and the next day my body went, you know, you weren't in enough shape to do that well. So now you're having back spasms. Now your eyes are sore because you didn't wear the proper sunglasses. A whole lot of mistakes were made, but I had a lot of fun, but I've learned. <laughs> <laughs> so if people know floppy flow and fright and fun and we've given the skill given them the skills to help nudge them and pull themselves into one of those three zones it makes for a higher quality experience and we see it as what i call situational mental health nothing we do replaces people who need help people who are feeling suicidal people who've got schizophrenia depression all the big stuff that's really important we get diagnosed and treated but yeah. these skills that we teach they take some of the rough, rough edges off everyday living Life's little disappointments and life's big disappointments. Life's scariest moments. Life's overwhelming moments. Death of a spouse or a neighbor or a coworker. Won't replace therapy, but it helps you stay safer. Because on the flip side of those three awesome healthy zones, there's three zones we all visit, but if you get stuck in them, you have to watch and manage your behavior. There's frozen. That's when you feel numb. It could be physical, emotional, 
financial, social, you'd feel numb. And for an hour or three, yeah, that's life. But you have to be careful because if you stay there, many, not all, but many will do things to try to feel again. So I worked with somebody who was cutting because it helped them feel alive because they were overwhelmed with, with things not yet resolved because they weren't being supported. So again, because mental health costs a lot of money, we have people charging up to $500 an hour for mental health help in Toronto, Ontario. We have some places you get some free help, but after your seven visits, that's it. Some of us need long-term, some of us need short-term. Well, the research from Winnipeg, Manitoba said that these types of skills will help everybody be a little safer to a lot safer and a little to a lot more productive. Again, doesn't replace mental health therapy for those with big stuff, but for those of us that lose a loved one, go through a divorce, fail a grade, get fired. We all need some skills to stay safe. Have a chance to make a $5 million sales presentation. If it goes well, there's a raise and a bonus. If it goes badly, you might not get that chance for a while. Your career could be on the side burner for a long time. So frozen, there's flicker. You haven't had enough right sleep. Your diet's inappropriate. You've got some small to medium-sized things you're not acknowledging or dealing with. Maybe you're not even aware of. And then frenzy and frenzy is like flicker times 100. Hmm. it's just impossible to cope you're hard to engage with it's hard to talk to you're not listening you don't take direction well you don't give direction well and so that's when you use non-prescription pharmaceuticals possibly to stay calmer or you have inappropriate relationships with multiple partners because it helps you feel calm for at least 20 minutes and i had a coaching client or a client who wanted me to coach them and they were in frenzy but their behavior issues were a long list and it was out of my skill set and out of my depth and i felt that at the rate they were going they were going to be a danger to themselves so i'm happy to say 20 years later they have had treatment 15 20 years ago and they're now happily married and financially safe and prosperous because you can't help everybody somebody else they should go to on occasion so so that's the model loud fast quiet and slow well two thoughts that come to mind as you describe this and uh, this is really fascinating and very helpful because it's practical uh, but one of the things I think people could jump to the conclusion that either you're resilient or you're not. Either no. you, you can cope or you can't, right? This is this either or, all or nothing mentality. But the truth is, as you have experienced and as you are teaching, as you're finding in real life situations, resiliency, like any other muscle or skill, is something that you can learn and you can perfect. Yeah. And the more you do it, especially if you do it right, the better it can become. And so rather than waiting until you snapped, you know, something really terrible does go happen. If you're practicing these skills along the way, whether you're in crisis or not, you can actually build the resilience so that you can cope better when inevitably trauma does happen in your life. Exactly. I remember being calm and being told by a mental health care person, I was too happy. I've read your chart. You've got cancer in four locations. So it spreads significantly and you're going to die. I said, well, you're going to die too. We're just not sure by bus, by car, by old age, like, but you're too happy. No, let me leave the viewer with one more skill that's been profound for me. I said, I was taught that do you have the issue or does the issue own you? The minute I got the diagnosis, the issue owned me. And after a couple minutes, to misquote a famous singer, shake it off, shake it off. And then I own the issue. And I said to the doctor, okay, so what's the plan? He said, you're coming back in two days for emergency surgery. When you sign in, you're going to come in at three in the afternoon. We're going to prep you. 
the next morning we're going to do x-rays and everything else and then afternoon if things go right you're gonna have surgery okay so that's the surgical so what are you gonna do said so i go to go to see my lawyer on the way home to make sure my my will is completely up to date i moved provinces or states and trying to be realistic but really realistic my will was made in another province so yes i was married and the will was for her and all that was nice eyes dotted t's crossed but it's another province, another state. Probating that would have been a mess and expensive. Yeah, right. Spend the 200 bucks, get it done in the hometown. So I rushed over to my lawyer's office, said, I need to see you. It's an emergency. What's up? I told him the color drained right out of him. If, it, if you saw it in a Hollywood movie, you'd go, wow, what great tinting they did. How did they do that? <laughs> he went from ruddy cheek to, to gray. So he said, it'll be in your post office box by the time you get home, in your home mailbox. Good. I went downstairs, saw the guy I bought the house with my wife through, Peter. Peter, I got some news. I believe I'm going to win because I got a great medical team and I got a can-do attitude. And even if I die, I still won because I'm going to win every, every in every area except physical. So again, <laughs> the color leaves. Peter, I need to give you some phone numbers. Here's my father's work number and my mom and dad's home number. Here's my mom's volunteer number. Here's my father-in-law's work number, my mother-in-law's home number, my spouse's work number. You've already got our home number from selling us the house. So if anything happens, here's the moving company. I've already talked to them. That's the plan. She's going to stay six months to a year. We trust you. You'll sell the house for whatever we can get. You'll give her a whole bunch of little things to do to make a little more money, but don't stress her out. I went home. Had an envelope, typed everything up, stuck it on the wall with a big red check mark in case of emergencies. Told her it was all there, picked her up from work, it was done. So when this guy said, You're in denial, you don't understand, it was like, Buddy, don't come back. I've never fired a professional before, but I was so mad. Yeah. He was clueless. Yeah. Well, you've progressed into denial. No, I'm not. I have phoned on my last night before the hospital, I phoned 190 people. <laughs> it's Ballard. You mean this to me. You've made a significant difference. I'm looking for prayers or a note. Here's the address. Here's what I've got through. Tell me something good in your life. I don't care about me. I want you to tell me the gardens come up. The crocuses are up. Your daughter just got a B plus in a course she was failing last time she tried. Something. Yeah. I want you to frame it in positives. Well, a couple of weeks later at the hospital, should we know you? You got 400 get well cards and notes and letters like who are you are you on the news in another part of the world are you hiding out here no nope. guy scared out of his mind looking for affirmations and looking for engagement and it helps helps with pain management help with the quality of the experience and my neighbor's <laughs> mother betty to leave you with this sent me a crocus in full bloom with gardening gloves and inside a gardening hat so you in two months from this was february my surgery in two months or so you're going to plant this the hats to use and the gloves to use now get to it wow talk about visualization and giving marching orders <laughs> i love that oh yeah just the fact that we're having this conversation says that you weren't in denial you weren't uh just you know hit with your head in the clouds no there's actually there's actually a physiological and mental spiritual component to what you're doing oh yeah taking taking action, which had obviously a positive effect on your outcomes. I had a, I had a prayer to my, my dad about two weeks in, told me the first time I was in for cancer. I'm frustrated. I don't know what to do to help. Dad, don't you have that new intranet between the company locations? Yes. You tell him your son Michael wants help healing. 
I forgot to ask for pain management. Okay, careful what you ask for in prayers. So within two weeks, dad's back to me. Son, you're in 63 prayer groups around the world. Synagogue in, in, in Israel. There's a prayer revival group in Atlanta. There's a, uh, a music hall revival Christian group in, in, in Texas. You're in, you're in a, uh, a mosque in Pakistan. You're in Australia. Oh, how I wish I had a list. <laughs> Should I know you? Have you been on the news somewhere, Michael? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? So that was awesome. I literally felt like I was being lifted up after that, after about the second week, because Dad said some of those groups are praying for you every day. Like yeah. You're getting five minutes of concentrated effort here. Well, one of the things I love about you, Michael, and about your story is you didn't rule out any possibility. You, you got the prayer groups going. Yep. You did the research. You changed your mentality. You did the things you needed to do to, to prepare for the end of life. So it wasn't like you just put all your eggs in the one basket saying, well, I'm just going to let the prayer groups and I'm just going to wait to see what happens. Yep. You did everything possible. And, the, and this seems to be um, a good mantra for your life that that your mind, your body, your spirit all your sleep, all these things are connected. And so there are things that you can proactively do. Yep. But the, I think the question I have, and I would like to uh, for you to address before we're done here, is that most of us won't take action until there's a crisis, until we feel like there's enough stress to move us to action. When in actuality, as we know with so many areas of life, if we would just do the preventative things uh, that aren't that difficult, if we just make a routine and habits that are good for us, then we'd be far better prepared and equipped to handle the big things yep. when you arrive. So what are the things that you can tell to our audience that kind of will uh, spark some motivation, inspiration to take action now, even if it doesn't feel like it's necessary? Well, one of the motivators I have is that it's about age. We have a chronological, we all got a chronological, chronological age. I got a birthday in March 23rd. March 9th. March brothers, okay, March babies. So that's undeniably it is what it is, and that's okay. However, I've tried to gamify it because there's also a body age. Now, I don't want to have a body age the same as my chronological age. I'm 68. My goal is to have a body age, a minimum of 12, and my target is 20 years younger than my chronological age. I've never achieved the 20, but I got a whole lot of 8s, many 10s and 12s, and a few 18s. So blood pressure standing heart rate, lying heart rate, how fast your heart rate comes from active to lung capacity, it goes on and on. So a small thing is when you go down the stairs, both hands on the railing, oh, your hands will get a little dirty, but who cares? Bounce a little in your step. It helps with bone density and slows down the aging of bone density slipping away with age. And it helps just a little bit with your balance. So it's a small thing, but I've worked it into my routine that anytime there's stairs, I try to go up and down them with a little bounce, two at a time, hands on the railing. I'm not going to break an ankle trying to stay 10 years your body age younger. That's just stupid. But it's just a little bit of fun where I go, huh, I might be gone tomorrow, but I'd like to be around for to be in my 90s because I want mental health to start having a balanced asset approach. i got a lot of work to do. i got a continent or two to take on. And I know that I've already angered a few mental health professionals because they take it personal. That's not my problem. My problem isn't with the individuals because they do amazing work, almost all of them. I've learned to be calm enough to breathe, to, to hold my breath and swim lengths under the pool. So the pool I get to swim in is long enough that most people go, how do you do that? 
Well, if those ladies can pearl dive off Korea and be under the water for three three minutes, do you really think Michael being under the water for 15 seconds is a major feat of physical? <laughs> no. I have just worked on my drowning response to the point where I have a tiny bit of control more than average. And I like it because I'm proving mind over matter. Because these reflexes were built in to keep us alive. But the same thing that keeps us alive 2,000 years ago, get in the way now. Yeah, right. When I watch some movies and the guy or gal, the hero's on the edge of a cliff for a building and they could fall over, I get vertigo. drives me nuts. I know I'm safe here. My body's going, red alert, red alert. We're going to die. We're going to die. And I just close my eyes, take a deep breath and say, oh, please, body, give it up. We know better. And a little voice says, oh, no, we don't. <laughs> right. I took a rock climbing course for a day, 90-foot rock face. I, up until they passed, could go to my mother and father's house and sit on the roof one story up and clean the gutters out because they were too old to do that. Only one in the family to do it because everybody else, their vertigo is even worse than mine. So I always tease people. I go four steps on a ladder and the ladder vibrates. It drives me crazy that that's in me. But I'm told it's A, a sign of peripheral, a higher than average peripheral vision and other sensitivities in one aspect of my life gets in the way of another. So anyway, so, so body age versus chronologically. So there's the stair thing, there's the breathing capacity. I got an oxygen meter. One of the things I heard of with this pandemic is that for some people they feel a little fluish and over four hours their oxygen rate just dives. So it's 50 bucks, I put it on. Oh, it's doing heart rate. Oh good, I'm gonna do four sets of stairs, just briskly. Then I'm gonna come and sit and just do three deep breaths to get common. How fast can I go from 98 beats a minute down to 58. Oh, I'm hitting 62 these days. I must not be working out enough. Oh, okay. So five or six days of exercise. The human body is pretty remarkable. Oh, I'm down to 58 beats within just three or four deep breaths. Oh, the restorative time is better, which is what a younger body has. So again, I don't lose sleep over it. But the one thing I decided decades ago is one of my relatives on my mother's side, God bless her, went through serious trauma a couple of times before the age of seven. Hmm. She was locked in an anxiety zone so bad it was painful to be around her sometimes. Anyways, I decided I was going to be the calmest, best sleeper in the family. Hmm. So by learning how to breathe better, uh, by learning how to put software in here to have less stress and anxiety because, you know, Acknowledge what all the issues are. What can you change? What can you manage? And what do you have to give away? Because you can't change it. Hmm. So when the Chernobyl reactor blew up, I couldn't change anything. But I could go to my drugstore and talk to my doctor about, do I need to buy iodine pills? <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, like, that's all I can do. You know, one of, the, one of the words that jumped out that you were talking about was gamify. And this is kind of a mentality that you have, that if you can make a fun activity, a game out of it, whether it's even just against yourself or there's no other competition, oh. but, but the numbers of, uh, you know, can yep. I get my heart rate or my everything else in, in, in this youthful state. That you not get upset when it doesn't work. Cause I've got this giant project with this mental health project and I've got 330 media groups interested. Long game is I want to start an Institute that focuses on mental health, positive asset approach, not to replace what we have. It's desperately needed. But imagine programming that we could teach three-year-olds so they get less frustrated. There's less meltdowns. Imagine a single mom who has a child who only gets one meltdown for every three they now get because they have the skills. Sign me up for that, right? That's my that's my end goal. I want to sell several thousand of them later this year. 
minimum. A hundred thousand of them would be very nice. Then I could set up an institute headquartered in one near a couple of our major universities, but near one of our colleges in Canada. Colleges are all about practical, high function. Do it like the day you graduate, you can go do it. So we'd have a special type of child life therapist certificate where they had have know all the positive asset approaches for mental health for three to thirteen ish. I love it. And then the universities do the research. So, and then of course other countries because now we have the skills in 12 languages the first 12 skills because it's important yeah and uh we're underway it's exciting and it keeps me up at night once a week <laughs> <laughs> if your goals don't keep you up at night and scare you on occasion they're not big enough well big enough. a goal right. bigger than this this is awesome michael you know you're, you're an inspiration to many i know you've you've uh, started this resiliency for life group that i'm part of online thank you Over 4,500 members there just providing encouragement and words of uh, advice to each other. And a few skills. And a few skills, right. But that's, yeah. again, that's what I was going to get at is that one thing about you is that you're very intentional about not just not just being an academic process or an academic exercise, but actually exercise. So that it actually makes a difference only if you do it, not just if you know it. It's- I've worked with people who have been through some of life's worst times things inflicted on them or they saw things that were inflicted on them from age three up to I work with a 97 year old and they all said how come you have a process nobody else does I said it's like a roadmap if I give you a roadmap and you're lost and I tell you here's where you are on the map it's less frightening you're still lost compared to where you want to be but oh I said and then the states of being of floppy flow fright and fun and frozen flickered frenzy that's like huh what are the tools I got to work with today I work better when I'm in flow. So if I'm in frenzy, I better get my act together, ask for help and get back over to flow. So I'll practice the skills and ask for help and get my get myself unlost or less lost. Before we run out of time, Michael, what, what's the program called that you're developing and where do people find out more? The program is called Imagine Yourself. And if they connect with me on LinkedIn, Resiliency for Life is a paid LinkedIn, Resiliency for Life Limited on LinkedIn or Resiliency for Life Limited as a group in Facebook or Resiliency for Life as a page. Because not everybody wants to join a group. Right. That's fair enough. Yeah. The group does, has much more information than the page, but that's where they can get in touch. And then the website will soon be back up again. It's been under development. So resiliencyforlife.com. It's exciting to be this close. I'm on my fourth chance at life. I've got a purpose and a passion and it feels good. <laughs> I love it. Your passion for life, your passion for helping people is evident. It's apparent. It's contagious. It's uh, I, I just love this connection that we've made, even though we've never met in person. Well, yeah, and but I, I just, feel like I've known you for 10 years at least. So Absolutely. Yeah, we're like, we're like brothers of other mothers, right? <laughs> so I want to tell the people who are listening as we draw this one to a close that, you know, it's inevitable. Stress is inevitable, and it's not always a bad thing. Stress, if you learn to manage it, can actually work to your advantage. We're all afraid of stress. We try to minimize stress. But really, it's with stress that we can grow. We, the muscles can be built both internally and metaphorically and mentally, right? So that we become stronger and then we can take on the bigger and bigger problems without melting down, without imploding, without doing something that will harm ourselves or others. So I commend you, Michael, for what you're up to. I'm excited to see your program come to life. I know it's going to be a benefit to many people. And uh, and I encourage anybody who's listening to check out resiliencyforlife.com and connect with the awesome Michael Ballard. Bless you, brother. Thank you. Great to see you again. You too. We'll do it again. 
If this episode was beneficial to you, be sure to pay it forward, sharing it with others who may need a boost as well. Until next time, dream big, start small, act now. Thank you.